It's almost hard to believe we're at the halfway point of this 21-day lockdown. I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. How does it feel to be heading towards this finish line? What has the lockdown experience been like so far? What have been the highs, the lows? What have you learned from all of this? Leave me a voice note on WhatsApp on 083-638-1395 and we'll share the best voice notes on one of our upcoming podcast episodes. The number to leave your WhatsApp voice note is 083-638-1395. From me, Cindy Paluta, to all our critical, critical staff working tirelessly during this crisis time, we see you, we salute you, we appreciate you. You are of utmost importance. Please don't give up the fight. Thank you. Stay safe. 702 presents the Locked and Down podcast with Cindy Paluta in association with the South African Depression and Anxiety Group because help is at hand. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening from me, Cindy Paluta, to everyone listening to this Locked and Down podcast right now. During this national lockdown, and as each episode of this podcast series, Locked and Down, is released, I receive many messages from all of you listening, and thank you so much for all your feedback, and more importantly, thank you for listening. If there's one thing I've realized in this series so far is that many of us are walking wounded. And for those of you who have poured out the deepest part of your soul to me, it's important to remember that the South African Depression and Anxiety Group Helpline, otherwise known as SADAG, is always open 24 hours a day. The number is 0800-456-789. And speaking of walking wounded, what a strange and weird world we are navigating our way through at the moment. The uncertainty of it all. We don't know when it's going to end. Where is the finish line? And I guess there's no human on this planet more important right now than those who are on the front line fighting this COVID-19. Our doctors, our nurses, our medical health practitioners, paramedics, social workers, the list goes on of all of these critical services. For today's podcast, I'm joined by clinical psychologist and SADC board member, Zamon Bele, and we're going to have a discussion on a topic I find absolutely critical at this time, and it is the mental wellness of our critical members in society, our medical practitioners. So thank you, Zamon, for making time to chat to me today. Thank you for the invite. Zamon, I've scrolled through numerous social media posts where we see nurses and doctors begging people to please stay home. They definitely are our unsung heroes right now, fighting a war that they themselves never imagined absolutely and i think that um it's it's quite a uh firstly we must uh, say thank you to them and we must recognize the sacrifices that they're making not only in being able to be out there and to be doing the work that is so necessary and so key and so essential but also really um sacrificing time at home that most people are enjoying at this point or i'm struggling through um it's a huge sacrifice there's also very definitely the importance of logging and noting that they are potentially sacrificing themselves. I think that if we look at the stats uh, globally, a lot of the people who have died from this virus are in fact frontline healthcare workers. And so it's a, it's a really, really massive sacrifice. So we must take our hats off to them and thank them and recognize um, what they're doing. Recently, a nurse posted a picture of herself on Instagram, the area around her mouth, including her cheeks, almost raw. And she says from wearing one of those face masks, those N95 face masks, she said so many people have said, yes, but you signed up for this when you chose to become a nurse. But she says the reality is she never actually signed up to fight such a massive war. And I think that the fact that one signs up to try and help people and get them to better health is already um, quite a, a huge step to take. 
However, when there is a pandemic like we have now that is so unknown and so new and so massive, nobody could have ever imagined that this is what they were signing up for. And in fact, if they would have, I imagine that a lot of people would have been a lot more reluctant. So I think that we do have to be a lot more empathic in the response to the fact that this is going to take a toll on individuals, human beings, mothers, fathers, siblings, and children of people. And I think that it's going to be something that's unimaginable um, is the first point. I think the second one is related to something that you allude to, which is the level of unknownness that a lot of healthcare workers have to deal with at this point. We are asking them to act with knowing when in fact they're in a very similar position to all of the rest of us. They too have a lot of unknowns. They too have a lot of terror and fear and anxiety. And um, unfortunately, unlike, let's call it the general population, they cannot indulge that. Instead, they have to keep going. They have to try figure things out on the spot. So it's going to be the scars that they're going to be wearing on their face, for example, as, as said um, nurse, but also internally that they're going to come out of this with. I'm glad you've touched on that internal struggle because one of my friends is a doctor at a government hospital, Baraguanath, in Johannesburg, and she's been waiting for weeks now on hold. She's on edge every single day. She said she doesn't want to imagine what could possibly be a worst-case scenario. And at the same time, you know, she's so stressed that there's going to be no ventilators and she's going to have to make the decision of who does and doesn't get a ventilator. And I think that one of the things that we are getting to know that we need to be supportive of is the anticipation of people having to make those decisions, which are incredibly tough decisions. And um, it's going to be very tricky to be in a position where you have to almost choose, kind of in a triage, choose um, who gets a ventilator and who does not, you know, who gets admitted and who does not. And a lot of guilt can come from that. And a lot of, um, you know, it'll be a memory for forever and you'll be haunted for forever potentially. And it is quite important to contextualize things quite a bit. The first thing is that, you know, by the time a person comes into a casualty or into a hospital, they are already struggling and suffering. It is not as if you have put it there. It is not as if, in fact, that you have caused it. What you are potentially going to do is, um, by potential, going to make it better. You know, there's, there's no, it's very hard to imagine that you put them in that position. I think the second one is the fact that it can be very difficult to be a nurse or a doctor in this position because you, in fact, have to exercise a great level of omnipotence or power and believe that you can change things and believe that you can save lives. And, and that is very, very vital. In fact, it's what gives a lot of people power. However, sometimes it's also quite important to know that actually there's nothing you can do at the best of times after the fact. It's quite important to know that, in fact, the decision was made for you, either by the circumstance or the situation or the severity. It was made for you and it was out of your hands. And I think that that conundrum or that conflict is, is quite tricky. I think uh, helplessness and anger resentment and frustration are going to be amongst the deep and real and regular and frequent feelings and experiences um, that uh, healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers are going to have to deal with. And the, the tricky thing is that unlike, let's say, a, the general population or in a normal situation where we may all experience that irregularly, they will be experiencing it on a daily basis again and again and again and again. And I think that is what can erode something inside. It is what can eventually erode hope. It is what can eventually erode the empathy. And I think that it is also something that can actually erode the sense of being 
of just knowing that the world is safe and um, the world is okay. And that's when it can get incredibly dangerous, incredibly worrisome, because it can definitely lead not just to depressive symptoms or a depression, it can also eventually lead to suicidality and suicidal thoughts when all of those feelings are more than um, the experience of hope and of safety. And of course, in the back while, while they're experiencing all of this, there's also in the back of their mind, a lot of them are worried about going home with this, you know, with this virus to their families who are at home. And that's kind of where I was thinking a little bit at the beginning to recognize the sacrifice that's being made that cannot easily be captured. So, so you're right. A lot of healthcare professionals, especially frontline, are now battling with the idea, how do I go home? How do I retreat after a long day to something that might feel comfortable and that might replenish? And is it possible? Is it fair? Is it safe? And a lot of people, in fact, are having to make the decision not to go home, to really uh, distance themselves from loved ones and families who would ordinarily be the people to make it better, uh, so to speak, or make it worth it. And unfortunately, they cannot access that something that can refill and replenish and repair the actual doctor or nurse. And I think that in the future, one of the tricky things that we might have to look out for, maybe the guilt that might come from, I did infect a partner or a parent or or somebody at home. And that's going to be incredibly difficult. And there's also um, my same doctor friend. She's a mom to two small children. And um, there's also that guilt, the other side of it, where, you know, a lot of people are using this opportunity to be grateful and to spend quality time with their family, et cetera, et cetera. But here you've got the, you know, you've got these uh, doctors and these nurses and, and your GPs, et cetera, actually sacrificing seeing and seeing everybody else around them doing all this amazing stuff with their families. But here they are day in and day out, almost missing out on it. And I want to punctuate that because in the ordinariness of life, the family, including partners and children, would themselves be preoccupied by school and work. So it becomes amplified. The absence of these people become becomes so much more amplified than it would be ordinarily. And it can leave at home a whole lot of um, anger and disappointment that, um, you know, said mom or dad or sibling is not at home spending time with us. Um, and it can, And the person themselves can walk away with a whole lot of guilt around I am going to look after and look out for others while I'm neglecting my own at home. And it's such a huge sacrifice to make. I think that I can imagine you are familiar with it just because, you know, myself having um, listened to, to radio quite a lot of having to wake up in the morning and leave your children to go and speak to, to the world and make certain that um, the world is okay. And it's a heavy, heavy sacrifice to make. Um, yeah, you're and, right. And we, we do have to recognize so what would be your, just to end off, your, your top almost coping tips for our health workers out there? Perhaps let me start by saying that I think that um, I had thought that they, it's, it's quite important to, and maybe I might be repeating, to emphasize two things. The first one is the huge importance of being able to have perspective in this time. It's quite a skill and it's a formidable skill to know that you can save somebody's life and, and one needs to have that in order to keep going. However, that really needs to be put into perspective and balanced out by a recognition that at the same time, at the best of times, you just cannot, in fact. There's so much that you can do and there are limitations of yourself that you will have to bump into and really get to know. 
um, in a way that is very ordinary and in a way that might require you to have enough compassion, kindness, and patience um, for yourself in that moment. So in the front line, really knowing what you can and cannot do. Related to that is also um, really uh, being able to exercise enough caution where you're going as far into the front line as possible and at the same time recognizing when it's becoming too dangerous and actually you're going to put both the other and your life your own life in danger things is important secondly and lastly is i think it's incredibly important to respond to this crisis with a symmetrical attention to self-care so these are extraordinary times that are going to demand a lot from a lot of people and it's 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 so important that you increase and you are deliberate, as deliberate as you need to be in looking after yourself as well. So it requires a lot more attention to self and a lot more attention to um, replenishing, to repairing, to recreating, to resting, um, which is beyond the ordinary because these are not ordinary times as well uh, in a way. And I think that what might be also hugely important is to recognize that to beat this pandemic and this crisis requires us to distance ourselves socially. However, we may really need in this moment to actually find our souls together a lot more so that a social isolation does not result in a a kind of soul isolation too. Where in crisis, we may want to find loved ones and be together and hug each other and hold each other and sit together for safety. We cannot do that in in the physical sense, though we need to um, recognize that we need to find a way to do it in our souls. We need to stay in touch. We need to speak together. We need to all know that, in fact, we are all in this together. And the social isolation hopefully does not lead to a soul isolation. Wow. Thank you, Zamo Bella. You've given, you've given us a lot of insight today. It was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time for our Locked and Down podcast. Thank you. That was an absolute pleasure. So how can people get hold of you um, or follow you on social media should they wish to? So um, as you said, SEDEG is, is open and we are uh, available 24-7. And you can call our call center on 0800-21-22-23, 0800-567-567. I do want to say that um, myself and a few colleagues are also starting, I have started an initiative to support um frontline healthcare workers where um, they can uh, kind of log onto a website and be able to access any sort of assistance that they need, whether it's individual telephonic counseling, Zoom counseling, face-to-face. Um, and that's something that we're working on and, and hopefully will, will be launched soon. Awesome. Please all you let me know when that launches so we can give out the details on all our 702 platforms as well. Absolutely. So from me, Cindy Paluta, to all our critical staff working tirelessly during this crisis time, we see you, we salute you, we appreciate you. You are of utmost importance. Don't give up the fight. Thank you and stay safe. Help is at hand during this lockdown. Call SADAC between 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on 0800 567 789 or visit sadag.org before it's too late. For more episodes of the Locked and Down podcast, visit lifepodcasts.fm.